Well, hey, good morning, everyone. How are we? I'm just kind of waiting for that last chord to hit, you know? I just didn't feel right until we had that. Apparently, it's still Easter this morning, if you noticed from the bumper. Um, It's not. It's like raining out, and it's the week after. Um, But we are starting a new series called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. But that bumper reminded me of last weekend. Wasn't last weekend awesome? Getting together, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. I remember at the very beginning, I talked about how I love spring and how I love the Chicago Cubs. And I... I didn't realize that last week we had a Cubs-Mariners matchup, and uh, I heard it easy now there. Apparently, the Cubs are the better team, because we took two of the three games. But here's the thing. Maybe we see a Cubs-Mariners World Series, because they're both looking pretty good right now, you know? In that case, it would still be go Cubs. Um, Anyway, um, if you were here with us last week and it was your first week with us, welcome back. My name's Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here. It's so good to be with all of you. We are starting a new series that we are calling Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And so if you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and get those out and open those up. But just a quick warning to all of you, this morning we're going to be all over the place today. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in Exodus 20. We're going to be in uh, Proverbs 18. We're going to be in 1 John 4. And so if you're like, that sounds crazy, we're going to have all of that up on the screen for you to follow along if that's easier and more simple for all of you. But in this series, in the next month and a half or so, what we're going to do is, is we're going to take a lot of what we've learned over the last eight or nine months in our series through James, in our series through Philippians, even all the way back to August in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we are going to try to take those things and live them out practically. Now, if you weren't here for that time, and if you weren't here all the way back in August, don't worry. Everything moving forward will make sense without that stuff, Uh, but our focus over the next month and a half is going to be on how we can live different aspects of what we've learned throughout God's word over these last few months and put them into practice in our relationships, in our relationships. And here's why we're doing this. We're doing this because I think that today, I think that if, if, if we hear a teaching on like a Sunday morning, or we listen to a podcast, say on loving our neighbor, and we hear that thing, I think we, we receive it and we think, okay, I got that now, I'm good. Like, like I, I'm, I'm all settled, I've, I've heard that teaching, I've figured that out. But here's the thing, when in reality, growing in our ability to love other people is a discipline, isn't it? And disciplines aren't easy. They're, they're actually quite difficult to learn and put into practice. In order to do that, we need some concrete, practical information and instruction on how to practice it and on how to actually do it, on how to actually have good, solid, generous, emotionally healthy relationships. In essence, what I'm saying here is that more biblical knowledge does not equal more spiritual maturity. More biblical knowledge does not mean more spiritual maturity. I think a lie that has really permeated the church over the last 100 years or so is this idea that if I just know more in the Bible, if if I just get more Bible knowledge, then I'll become spiritually mature. But if you've been hanging around churches at all over the last few years, you know that that's not a given. It's not a given that if I have more biblical knowledge, then I'm going to be more spiritually mature. And so in essence, what this series is proposing, what we're going to be unpacking over the next month and a half is this idea that spiritual maturity and emotional health are inseparable. 
Spiritual maturity and emotional health are inseparable. That it is not possible for the follower of Jesus to be and grow more spiritually mature while remaining spiritually immature. So that's what we're going to be unpacking and looking at over the next month and a half. Does that sound good? Okay, like six of you are on board. That's great. Okay, I'm excited. I'm excited too. You, me, and you six. Let's go. Here we go. Before we do that, I want to talk about an old book. And it's not the Bible, it's not that old, but it's another old book, and it's this book called The Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky. And everyone's on the edge of their seat right now, like, great! I was waiting for this. But okay, so in this book, in this book, there is this wealthy older woman, and uh, she goes to this monk, and, and she asks this monk uh, for proof of God's existence, She asks for proof of God's existence uh, because she's not a believer, but she wants to be a believer. And she thinks if she can just go to someone who's spiritually wise and spiritually mature, that 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 person can give her the evidence that she needs to push her over the edge and belief. But the monk responds to her. And in this story, he says to her, that's impossible. I can't do that. I can't just prove God's existence right here. But he doesn't leave her with with nothing. He, He tells her before sending her off, He says, if you are truly seeking God, if you are truly trying to find him, then go out every single day and practice active, sacrificial love every single day. And she responds to him and and she says to him, you know, actually, I, I dream about giving all of my wealth away. I fantasize about leaving my life of privilege and and serving other people. I actually dream about living this like holy life of poverty in commitment to other people in need. But then she goes on and she says that in that moment when those dreams and those fantasies kind of reach this fever pitch in her mind, she says, then I remember how often and how frequent people complain. Not much has changed in 150 years, right? And she says this, and she says, once she remembers how often and how frequent people complain that the soup doesn't taste right, or it's too cold, or the clothes are too old, or, or they don't fit right, they're too big or too small, that in that moment, her dreams vanish. And so she's left just sitting there wondering, is there a God? And in response to this moment of transparency that this woman shares with the monk, the monk responds in, I think, a really poignant and powerful and and kind of convicting way. And he says this, and this is why I'm sharing this whole story. He says this line. He says, love in practice is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. Love in practice is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. In a scene in the Gospel of Matthew, a Pharisee approaches Jesus, and he asks Jesus this question. He says, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Later in the New Testament, 
one of Jesus' followers, John, he wrote in his letter, he said that the thing that most aptly summarizes the way of Jesus is this idea right here, that our love for each other be demonstrated for all to see. And then he goes on to write in his letter, he says this, that a person who says that I love God and yet hates his fellow Christian, he is a liar. Because the one who does not love his fellow Christian whom he has, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And in essence, what he's saying here is that he's saying we can't say that we love the brother that we don't see, that we love this God that we don't see, and yet hate the brother or sister that's sitting right next to us. He says that's an impossibility because we are called to actively and sacrificially love those who are physically around us. That's what we're called to. And I think that all of us would agree with this. I think all of us would see this simple teaching in, in, in 1 John, and we would say, yeah, I agree with that. I believe that. But as we just saw a few moments ago, love in practice is a harsh and dreadful thing. Love in practice is a difficult, harsh, and dreadful thing. Any one of us who have tried to actively and sacrificially love someone for any amount of time know how difficult this can be, right? All the wives in the room said amen, right? <laughs> Like we know how difficult and how hard this can be. And listen, it's not just because other people are difficult. It's not just because other people are difficult. I think we're quick to go there and yes, we can be difficult. But I think, I think what's really at hand here is this idea um, that, that, that we don't really know how to love others and love others well. It's just something we're deficient in. It's just something we struggle with because here's where we get stuck, I think. I think we get stuck because we take the biblical truth, we take the biblical knowledge that we acquire over time, and that's a good thing, and then we try to apply that to our lives, and again, that's a good thing, but the way in which we try to apply the biblical truth and biblical knowledge uh, to, our li- to our lives is, is what we try to do is, is we use the relational skills that we learned while we were growing up. That's what we do. Like, for instance, how many of you have heard this phrase that we are called to speak the truth in love? How many of you heard that before? A few of you? Yeah, so, so some of us, for example, here's what we do. We take a truth like that, and, and, and we go to someone, and, and we, in like the boldest, most hurtful way imaginable, share truth. Like, we just drop a truth bomb on them. Because we think, you know what, like the, the truth needs to be shared in like a bold and brave way. And, and, and if they get offended, that's on them because sometimes the truth is offensive. And when we do that, you know, we reflect on it. And, and yet truth is valuable. But if we were to f- reflect on that, and, and then if someone were to ask you the question, why do you do that? Like, did you learn that somewhere? And, and perhaps, yeah, yeah, I learned that in my family. Like, like growing up, that's just kind of how we dealt with things. We just kind of dropped those bombs and we, we called it like it was. And, and we just said what was on our minds and on our hearts right away with no thought for the other person. Biblical truth applied using relational skills that we learned growing up. Or for example, the, um, back in August in our little mini-series on the Sermon on the Mount, we saw that Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. That's what Jesus calls us to be. But the, main, the way many of us live this out is, is by simply choosing not to bring up the problem or address the conflict with the other person. That, that's how we deal with it. 
You know, we, we, we choose to ignore the conflict between our spouse and us. We ignore the conflict between that friend and us uh, because that's how we learned how to deal with conflict at home. We simply sweep the conflict under the rug because we've learned over time that by, by bringing it up, I'm probably just going to bring more problems with it. And so it's better just not to address the problem in the first place and just let it lie because there appears to be this surface level peace. But the problem is, Jesus didn't call us to be peacekeepers. He called us to be peacemakers. And there's a big difference there. And so again, we see these ways in which we take biblical truth and we try to apply it to our lives with the relational skills that we learned while growing up. And so the problem is, at its core, these are emotionally unhealthy ways to live and operate in our relationships. It's, it's, it's emotionally unhealthy, and in reality, it's, it's no different than the world around us. And as the people of God, as a people set aside, we are called to live in a new and better way as we follow after Jesus. And so in order to deal with that, like I mentioned, I want to get really practical over these next few weeks and learn how are we called to love one another? How are we called to engage in emotionally healthy relationships with one another? And so this morning, we're going to learn just one thing, one important skill that we can put into practice in our lives in order to have emotionally healthy relationships. And so if you're ready for that, say, I'm ready. Okay, great. It's like more than six people. We are making progress. This is fantastic this morning. The first thing that uh, we're going to learn in this series is this. We are called to stop mind reading. Okay? Yeah, all right. Stop mind reading. If we want to have emotionally healthy relationships, we need to stop mind reading. And here's how I want to start. I want to start by watching this quick video. If we have that video, go ahead and hit play on that right now. Watch this video. This video right here is called An Experimental Experiment of Apparent Behavior. That's a great name, isn't it? An Experimental Experiment of Apparent Behavior. And it's from a 1944 experiment by a couple of psychologists. And to those that are old in the room, it might look like an old Atari video game, okay? And so here's, here's what they did. In this experiment, people were asked to watch this short film and then tell the psychologists what they saw. And out of all the participants who watched this video right here, only one person said, what it really was. Out of all the people they surveyed and brought into this experiment, only one person said what it really was. Do you wanna know what's going on here in this video? Yes. Are you sure, are you ready? You want, you want me to tell you, just kinda of like reveal the secret here? Yes. Here's what's going on in this video, okay? Do you kinda of have your idea? Do you have your guesses right now? Here's what's going on. Geometric shapes are moving around a two-dimensional plane. That is what is literally happening in this video. And out of all the people they surveyed for this video, only one person guessed that. One person guessed that. Everyone else, including me, the first time I watched this, made up some elaborate story explaining what was going on. And be honest, how many of you in your mind made up an elaborate story as to what was going on in this, like, like the big triangle is this bully and he's trying to take the small, or like the big triangle is an angry dad and he doesn't like the, the, his daughter's boyfriend or something like that, or it's a prison scene and the big triangle is this guy named Fat Joe. 
And, and the circle is the prison guard and he's lost control of the jail or something. Like, we do this all the time. We do this all the time. We make up stories to explain our reality around us. And in one sense, this is, this is actually quite a beautiful thing. We are, we, God has created us to be a, story, a storytelling people. It's an amazing thing, but here's the thing. When this goes wrong, and oftentimes it goes wrong, very, very wrong, um, what happens is, is this is the source of many of our problems in our relationships. It's the source of many of our problems. We make up stories about why someone looked at us a certain way. When in reality, that's just that's their face. Like, that's what their face looks like. It's what it does. We, we, we make up stories about why someone didn't text us back or why they didn't call us back or why they did what they did or said what they said. Um, we make assumptions, all of us do this, that are typically not true. And, and we build story after story uh, on these assumptions. And these stories that we tell ourselves have major, major impact on the way we think and the way we feel about the other people that we're in relationship with. Jerry Scazzaro, uh, in her book, Emotionally Healthy Relationships, she writes this. She says, consider the difference of what goes on in your mind with a friend who agrees to meet you for dinner, is 40 minutes late. How different are your feelings when you tell yourself, maybe she had an accident driving here, or this relationship is clearly more important to me than it is to her. Consider the differences. Each interpretation generates a different feeling. Why? Because our feelings are closely related to the story we tell ourselves about the things going on around us. To quit faulty thinking and maintain good emotional and spiritual health, we must make an intentional decision to stop mind reading and, and verify our assumptions by, this is gonna be a novel idea, people, talking to people in person instead of in our heads. That's like the, that's like the core of this idea right here, okay? And the book of Proverbs in the Bible, shocker, it's, it's in God's word. And the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, it is loaded with practical wisdom uh, about restraint, about not jumping to conclusions before we have all the facts. Here's just a sampling from one chapter. Proverbs 18, verse two says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in disclosing what is on his mind. Verse 13, the one who gives an answer before he listens, that is his folly and his shame. Verse 15, the discerning person acquires knowledge and the wise person seeks knowledge. Verse 17, the first to state his case seems right until his opponent begins to cross-examine him. And so in the, in the ninth commandment, in, in, in the book of Exodus, uh, God gives this, this series of commandments to Moses. In the ninth commandment, it says this, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And if you've heard this before, oftentimes you think about this commandment in terms of like public disputes or like court-related issues, not giving false testimony about a certain situation. But, but, but what are assumptions? What is mind reading? What is wrongly jumping to conclusions before we have all the facts about another person's motive, if not false testimony in our own hearts? 
It's important for us to remember that this word and all the, all, all the commandments given by God to Moses were given while the Israelite people were wandering around in the desert. And this season of them wandering through the desert well, was a sort of season of preparation for these people. And sure, it was difficult and it was hard, but what, what God was doing in this season was he was reforming them and he was restructuring them. After they had spent centuries uh, enslaved in, in Egypt and formed by different ways of thinking and an entirely different culture. And so through these commandments, through these words, what God wasn't doing was God wasn't simply listing these arbitrary moral rules for them to follow, but what God was doing was he was setting up a new and better way for these people that he had set aside for himself to live a, a, a life of flourishing, a life of wholeness. That's what God was doing here. And so in this ninth commandment, what we see here, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Here's what God's getting at when he's talking about community. He's saying this, that truth is essential for a community to thrive. Believing and acting upon truth is essential for a community to thrive. The accurate uh, belief and portrayal of reality, not just publicly, but privately in our hearts privately in our hearts as well, is of the utmost importance for a community of the people of God to thrive and to flourish. And since that is the case, we must do everything in our power. We have to do everything within our strength to resist telling ourselves or telling others stories that we have created about others that are untrue. We, we, we have to resist this because the health of our community the health of our testimony about the gospel hinges on it. The health of our souls depends on it. And so we have to stop mind reading. Stop mind reading. Never assume you know what another person is thinking or feeling. Don't assume that. When we jump to conclusions about why someone did what they did, about why someone said what they said, when we tell ourselves uh, a story about their motives instead of talking with that person, and, and when the story that we tell ourselves doesn't line up with, with what's really going on, what we, what we are doing is we risk believing a lie about that person and sharing and perpetrating a lie that can condemn another person. We, we, we risk fracturing those relationships. We, we, we risk bearing false witness about another person, both privately in our hearts and publicly before others. We're distorting reality and we're damaging relationships when we do this. Again, Pete and Jerry Scazzaro, they write in their book, Emotionally Healthy Relationships, that every time, every time, we make an assumption about someone who's hurt us or disappointed us without confirming it, we believe a lie about that person in our head. We leave reality for a mental creation of our own doing, our hidden assumptions. We create a counterfeit world. And when we do this, it can properly be said, listen to this, that we exclude God from our lives because God does not exist outside of reality and truth. And in doing so, we wreck re, uh, relationships by creating endless confusion and conflict. And so mind reading 
assuming that we know why other people are saying and doing what they're doing has the potential and power to destroy lives and to destroy relationships. I think almost every relational blow up that we have in our lives has at its root, has at its core, stories disconnected from reality that we tell ourselves about one another. That's at the core, full of assumptions that were never verified, assumptions that were never talked about, assumptions that weren't clarified. And if we wanna have emotionally healthy relationships, this is the one thing we're talking about today. This needs to change. We need to stop mind reading. And so I wanna get really practical right now. Like how do we practically stop mind reading? How, how do we move from like the old habits and behaviors and ways of living and doing things? And, and how do we as a people move forward to like a new and better way of doing things? A new and better way of loving one another sacrificially, having emotionally health, healthy relationships? How, how do we lean into this way of actually talking to someone like going person to person with someone and, and, and actually asking them questions why they did what they did or why they said what they said. And so here are some practical thoughts. Here's, here's the first thing I want you to do. The first thing I want you to do is just spend some time on your own this week thinking about and reflecting on all of the relationships in your life. Thinking about all the relationships in your life, all the different areas, the relationships in your home, the relationships at your workplace, the relationships with your friends, in your neighborhood. Just be thinking about those relationships and begin to ask yourself some of these questions. Ask yourself some of these questions. How are things going there? Are they good? Are they bad? Why? How do I feel about them right now? How do they feel about me right now? And ask yourself, how do you know that? How do you actually know this? Have I talked about that with this person or am I making an assumption about them? And once you've begun to process those things, here's the second thing I want you to do. I want you to then highlight one person, one person out of that entire list and all your relationships, highlight one person. And then when you get that person's name, I want you to spend a few moments writing down, like literally, the assumptions that you're making in this relationship. For instance, write down something like this. You can start all the sentences with this. I think that you think that I'm too talkative and that annoys you. Am I correct? Or I think that you think that I don't do enough around the house and that frustrates you. Am I correct? And start to write all of those things down. And so once you've processed those relationships, highlighted one person, written down those assumptions, the final thing I want you to do, are you ready for this one? This is the scariest part, okay? Actually go to that person and set aside a time to share those assumptions with that person. And everyone in the room is like, no, <laughs> I do not, and I get that, I do not, but, but go to that person and be like, hey, I really value this relationship, but, but I'm afraid that there are a few things between us that, that, that are, are clouding this relationship, that have remained unspoken, and, and, and I fear that like, that like maybe they're coming from me and the assumptions that I'm making about you and our relationship and the way you feel about me. 
Now, that's like too wordy. You can just like go up to them and be like, hey, my pastor told me to tell you to be like, can I read your mind right now? And then when they like hesitantly say like, yeah, sure, I guess, then share with them some of those things. Share with them, be like, hey, I think that you think, and then explain the assumption, and then ask the question, is that correct? Like for example, after church today, I could go to my wife, Carrie, and be like, hey, Carrie, can we talk about a few things? Can we talk about some assumptions I'm having about today, about this afternoon? And I, and I could say to her, hey, hon, um, I think that you think uh, that, that, that I am gonna be, that you, I'd be lazy if all I do this afternoon is, is sit on the couch and watch some golf. Is that correct? Now, now she might say, yes, that's, that's actually correct. I thought we were gonna clean the house and do some yard work. And, or she might like see things more clearly and correctly and be like, no, honey. Like, you work so hard all day and all week long. Like, you deserve that. Like, can I make you a sandwich too? Like, it could, it could go one of two ways. You never know. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the encouragement. She's right there. Go ahead and give this a shot this week. I, I know it may sound weird to a lot of you, but go ahead and give this a shot this week. But listen, the point of this simple lesson, of, of this idea of, of stop mind reading, isn't just to have emotionally healthy relationships as an end in itself. That's, that's not the main goal. It's important, but it's not the end in and of itself. The point is, is that we would be a people who think and believe and live and operate in reality, in truth. The point is that we would, would, would think about truth, not just about God, but about those that we're in relationship with, especially like followers of Jesus, those that we're engaged with in community. Remember, truth is essential for a community to flourish. And so in order for that to happen, we have to stop mind reading. Let's assume, let's stop assuming we know why another person did what they did or said what they said. And, and with love and humility, would, would, we, would we approach them in wisdom and, and seek an accurate understanding of reality. But what if this leads to like more problems? <laughs> Some of you might be thinking right now, like what if I engage with, with this person and we start talking about this and it leads to like this sort of misunderstanding of expectations or more conflict? It might. It, it might. And then you might say, well, what am I supposed to do in that moment? Like how, how do I deal with those different expectations and then how do I handle conflict? We're so bad at conflict. Well, that's what we're gonna be talking about in the next few weeks. And, and, and so keep coming and we'll talk about these things and we'll learn, like next week we're gonna learn about how to clarify expectations and in a couple weeks after that, we're gonna actually talk about principles on how we can fight cleanly with those that we love. These are important practical lessons to learn and today we just have one. It's, it's stop mind reading. And, and if you're anything like me, that's enough for a week, right? So let's go ahead and pray and we'll sing one last song together. Father God, we just, we come before you and we ask, Lord, that you would just strengthen us and empower us to be a people who live and operate in truth. Uh, God, that we would not bear false testimony about people in our hearts. And that instead of assuming that we know why someone else did what they did or said what they said, that we would be bold and brave enough and with love and humility that we would approach those people in our lives and in our relationships that mean so much to us, that we would approach them with care, with tenderness, and clarify some of these assumptions. 
God, I pray that you, your spirit would give us wisdom and give us the words to speak, Lord. That you give us the, the, the ability to be obedient to this this week. God, you care that our relationships are healthy. Uh, Lord, we cannot be spiritually mature without growing in our emotional maturity, God. And so I pray that this week and in the weeks to come, God, that you would grow us. That you would grow us as a people so that we would be more emotionally mature in everything we do, in every relationship that we have. Would you walk us through this process, God, hand in hand, and would you lead us to a place of greater flourishing and greater thriving here in your church, God. Here at Arbor, Lord, we pray this in your son's powerful name. Amen. Amen.